going to stay? I hope so. <clears throat> I remember sometimes the walk of shame. That was when my mother grabbed me by the arm and drug me out. And I wasn't always willing or wanting to go. My dad sometimes would be like, give her the signal, you know. And uh, I remember I was in the church, <clears throat> and uh, uh, I was in a adult at that time, but there was a young boy being ushered out <laughs> against his will, and he looked to the right, and he looked to the left, and he said, pray for me, pray for me, <laughs> so I'll never forget that, that was quite something else, quite something else, I'd like to, I know this is the last night, and uh, actually, Lord willing, I'll still be here Sunday. But uh, I'd like to say thank you. Thank you for your hospitality. Thank you for your love, uh, the way you just take care of the men of God. And uh, thank you for allowing me to, of course, stay here and feed me. And uh, everybody listened to my jokes, laughed with me or laughed at me. I'm not quite sure, but that's fine. And uh, I enjoy telling them. <laughs> so, uh, but I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed being here. Pastor and his family have been very, very gracious and uh, just very, very kind getting to meet other preachers and so forth, and uh, even Scott, even Scott, you know, you know it's of the Lord. No, I'm just kidding. I, I thoroughly enjoy his, his fellowship, and we get together and go drink coffee, and, uh, and I, I say, uh, you know, scriptural things and, and a theological thing. He corrects me and helps me and praise the Lord, and we just keep on going. So if you would tonight, <clears throat> open your Bibles to John chapter 9, John chapter 9. John chapter 9, John in chapter 9, did I say it enough? I, I hope I did. <clears throat> One more time, John chapter 9, and then also go to Romans chapter 13. John chapter 9 in Romans 13, and we'll go there right after we read in John chapter 9. John chapter 9 and verse 4. Jesus is speaking here. And he says, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. Now go with me, please, to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13 Verse 11, <clears throat> the Bible says in that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you. Lord, the preparation of a man in his heart to give an answer is of the Lord. That's what your word says. And surely the preparation of the heart to declare your word is also of the Lord. Lord, I pray that you might cause me and just take control of my lips and cause me to speak wonderful things and truthful things from your word. Lord, I can't. I, you said, for without me, ye can do nothing. Lord, I acknowledge that. 
Lord, I do pray that those that are here that have ears to hear, that they'll receive your word, that they'll obey your word, that they'll swallow, digest, that it might be a part and become, not just a part, but become their life, who they are. That it might not be like a sports jacket we put on and off, but that we might be Christians, followers of Christ. Lord, teach us your word. We pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. I've always been interested and had a, uh, an interest in things of physics, math, and so forth. I think I shared yesterday that while I was um, going to a junior college with uh, studying physics in Germany, the Lord actually started dealing with my heart and called me into the ministry. And I've always thought about the elements or thought about even, you know, we talk about dimensions. The first dimension would be just one point. Two-dimensional would be from one point to another point, a line. Three-dimensional would be space. And then you probably know the fourth dimension is time. Time. You ever think about time? All right. Somebody says, well, but you ever think about this, for example? You ever think about maybe having a time machine where you could go back? Yeah, wouldn't it be great? Somebody says, I tell you one thing, preacher, if I had a time machine, I'd be rich. We'd all be rich if we had a time machine. I know what stocks to buy, know what bonds to buy, you know what kind of financial moves to make. But if we had a time machine, we'd probably go back and maybe change some things we regret having done. Amen? Sure. There's probably not a person in here. You can act pious, you can look all innocent and everything, but there's probably not a person in here that would take advantage of some things if you could go back in time and change some things. Amen. That doesn't mean, listen, that doesn't mean that that defines your life. I'm just saying. We all have made mistakes. But we live in time. Now, what doesn't interest me, like some churches do on a midweek service, they sit around in a circle and they go, well, what do you think? What do you think? And everybody gets this five minutes to say, and somebody stands up that hasn't read the Word of God for nine months and tells me what he thinks. That doesn't interest us. What interests us is this, is that somebody takes the Word of God who has studied the Word of God and who can show us from the Word of God certain things, and I'd like to share with you the subject of time from the Word of God. Time. The Bible says, again in verse 11, and that knowing the time. Now listen. We're going to know the time. There's, a, there's going to be a couple of things that are important that we need to consider and that we need to look, look at and understand. What does the Bible say? Watch. That it is now high time to awake out of sleep. You know what we expect a lot of times? Like next Sunday to be like? Like last Sunday. And then we expect the next Sunday to be like the last Sunday, and we expect it just to keep on going on. That life just keeps on following certain patterns. That's not how life is. Interruptions come in life, and life, listen, changes. Life changes. Of course, the great interrupter is what? Death. Death. But not only does life change, in death, but life changes also 
in the way things are. Let me explain. I remember going to high school, and in my senior year of high school, I had witnessed a number of my buddies, a number of my buddies had gotten saved, and I'm so thankful for that. And I remember I had three buddies that, that were saved, and uh, we'd hang out together, we'd do things, and sometimes one would say, let's do this, and the other three would, the other, uh, three would say, no, we can't do that. That's not right. And, and then another one, maybe later on, would say, let's do this. And the other three would say, no, we can't do that. You know that's not right. And we'd keep, other, uh, we'd keep each other in check. You know what I mean? And praise the Lord. I, I'm so thankful for that influence in my life to have saved friends and godly friends. Amen. That makes a big difference. I am thankful for friends. It's a gift of God. I really believe that. But I remember there was a young man named Yogan Penkel. And Yogan was a buddy of mine from sports. We did sports together and so forth. And I remember thinking, I need to witness to him. I need to tell him. I need to tell him the truth from the Word of God. So I started praying, and we maybe had a half a year still to go. And I started praying and asked the Lord to give me the perfect opportunity to talk to Yogan. Well, it never came. Never did talk to him. I'm not proud of that. Wish I could go back and change it, but since high school, I've never seen him. Never seen him again. Last time I inquired where he was, maybe to get a hold of him, he didn't even live in Germany anymore. And I'm just saying, there's opportunities you have, and the way life is maybe right now might not be the way it is in a year. And the opportunities you have. Think, think back with me in high school. You still run with the same crowd? You still have those opportunities? You still, no, life changes. Things pass. That's how life is. <clears throat> God calls us, first of all, if we're going to understand time, to wake up out of spiritual slumber and sleep. I had a man ask me one time. He said, preacher in Germany. He said, preacher, let me ask you something. I said, okay. He said, let me ask you, why is there so much tragedy and pain and suffering in this world? You've heard that question probably, haven't you? And I looked at him and I said, let me ask you something. When does man seek God? When will man cry out to God? When will man look to God? Let me ask you, when the money's jingling in his pockets and the sun is shining and he has perfect health, is that when man seeks God? No. It's when the bullets are flying over his head. Even the atheists will cry out, Lord, help me. It's when he's in sickness. It's when he's in pain. And when there's tragedy, man then, listen, I'm, that, it's a sad statement about man, but it is a true statement about man that man oftentimes will not turn to God unless there's tragedy and pain and suffering. And I said, why should God allow man to live in perfect harmony and perfect peace and joy and all this stuff when man forgets God in those times? Why? Now that's man. That's mankind. That's a natural man. <clears throat> but let me ask you. Let me ask me. When do I pray more? Good question. When things are honky-dory or when there's trouble? When there's pain? 
That's a hard question to answer. You know, there are men in the Bible, we have examples that are negative. We have examples that are negative. Samson, when did Samson pray? After being bound and blinded, then he sought the Lord. That's pretty bad, friend. Yeah. We have another one, Jonah. Now think about this. Jonah gets swallowed by the fish, whale. Jesus said it was a whale. He gets swallowed, and not until three days and three nights later, he starts praying. <laughs> you ever thought about that? I think in the moment I got swallowed, I'd be praying, friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Moses goes up and says to Pharaoh, when should God, God take the frogs away? And he said, tomorrow, another night with the frogs. I thought, why? And I thought, why would Jonah, three days and three nights, how stubborn, how hard-hearted, good grief. It's like those, those two mountain goats getting up, rearing up, and going, wham! How hard-hearted and hard-headed can you be? Three days and three nights. But we do have good examples. Let me ask you this. When did Daniel pray? Before he was thrown into the lion's den. Oh, yeah, friend. Everything was fine. He was praying three times a day. Three times a day. When did Job pray? Job. We don't know a lot about Job really before and all that, but he prayed continually for his children, continually before the testing, before the trial. He was a man of prayer. And those men shine, friend, because not, not when trouble came were they, became they then these fervent men of prayer, but before, that's how you and I ought to be. But oftentimes, we're like the others. It's not until tragedy hits, we wake up to sober up and realize how important it is to live for God. You know, we've all had wake-up calls. You ever had a wake-up call? Sometimes it's the information you get from a doctor. Sometimes it's your boss telling you, you're through here. I remember I picked up a friend of mine, Ulrich Poitz. Can you say Ulrich? Ulrich. My grandma, he came and visited me in El Paso, Texas while I was on deputation. And my grandma said, I'm just going to call you Willie. Had another friend, a preacher came over. His name's Helmut. Helmut. Can you say that? Helmut? Huh? And the preacher said, I'm just going to call you Helmut. There you go. That's close enough. Anyway, I pick up Ulrich at the airport in Dallas. Now, from Dallas to El Paso, that's a far way. That's about a nine-hour drive. Oh, man, and there's not much there. That's, we're talking about West Texas, friend. There is not much there. There comes a city called Monahans and Odessa. They're kind of close together right there. And I remember I was driving, and I told Ulrich, I said, man, I'm getting tired. Whew. You know, just... I got the cruise control on. Now, he had jet lag, you know, but I said, Oilers, you're going to have to drive. I just, I mean, I'm falling asleep here. So he said, okay. And so he got in the car, and he had only driven so far a standard. He'd never driven an automatic, but he knew how and everything, but he had never used a cruise control. So he's like, how does this work? And I explained to him and everything. And so we're driving along this highway, and he's driving, 
And it's a two-way highway going that way, a median, and then two-way highway going the other way. And sure enough, there's a car up there right about to get and going to pass the truck, and we're going to be in that car's blind spot right when he will want to pass that truck. I could see it coming. And sure enough, he didn't look. He just swerved out, nearly hit us. I said, watch it, Willie, and he swerved. Now, he had his feet underneath the seat comfortably, you know what I mean, just, just leaning back. And he swerves. We're heavy. We got his stuff, my stuff. He swerves, and he kind of loses a little control, and he swerves back but oversteers it and swerves back. Finally, he loses it into the median. And it's kind of like for just a split second, it's like slow motion. I'm looking at him. I'm thinking, should I grab the steering wheel? What should I do? And I thought, well, you know, in retrospect, I should have just kicked it into neutral. And even if it blow, blew the engine, it won't, though. It just disengaged the cruise control. And so I should have done that. But I, I, was, I really was thinking, man, I tell you one thing. I, either I'm going to see angels here in a minute or bright lights and nurses and doctors around me, but something's going to stop this car because it never, stopped, it never left 70, never did. It was like accelerating through the median, accelerating through that brown grass. We actually went over the other side of the highway between semis. We had gone underneath one of those tractor trailers and underneath the, you know, those semis, their, their, their trailer, it had taken the top of that car right off. And we end up going down a steep embankment on the other side, flipping the car diagonal four or five times. Now, if you think you can see detail, you can't see any detail. I tried. It's light, dark, light, dark. That's all you see. And it's loud as all get out. It's loud. I remember that. I remember getting out. First thing I did is checked. My legs still there? Are they still okay? No, serious. You're in shock. I remember looking around. I had a piece of glass in my hand, still have a scar from it. I didn't even know for minutes. I didn't even know. Didn't even feel it. Well, he had, had been bumped around a little bit and so forth, but we pretty much got the car landed right side up. And we got out of that car pretty much unscathed. Praise the Lord. Pastor Brother Lyons came over, picked us up, so forth. He got checked out in the hospital. But I remember, listen, I remember thinking, now, that could have been it. And what would my life have been summed up to this point? I remember thinking this. You know, there's some sin. There's some temptation. And there's some things I need to get rid of in my life. No, it sobered me up, friend. It was like a wake-up call. It was like, you know, when you have an instance like that, a wake-up call like that, things that maybe bothered you or somewhat worried you just dissipate. It's like, that's nothing. And you're focused on what's most important. Where would my life, hey, not where in the sense that I, would I go to heaven, but where would it be before the Lord? How would I be before the Lord? What would it be summed up to? Kind of like I preached yesterday. Now I remember as a wake-up call. Real wake-up call. Now the question is this, what do we do with wake-up calls? Kind of like Johnny. Johnny's in school. Man, he's listening to the teacher, and the teacher's teaching about the 30-year war. Johnny's listening. Uh, looks out the window. There goes a ZR1 Corvette. Man, it is sparkling. Candy apple red, whatever you like. Man, it is sparkling in the sun. He's looking at that. It goes over the blacktop, and he's thinking, oh, yeah, it's going to be me someday. 
got a blonde girlfriend next to him. He's like, yep, oh, yeah, but she'll be a brunette. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the, the bell rings. Johnny didn't listen. He didn't get this much out of the class. He didn't hear this much what the teacher said. Next class period, he comes in. Teacher says, pen and pencil, having a pop quiz test. 30-year war. First question, how long did it go? He has no clue. He doesn't know. <laughs> he doesn't know how long it went. You know what I mean? And he walks out. He gets a big fat F. He walks out, and the teacher kind of grabs him to the side and says, Johnny, what's going on? He goes, I don't know. And she says, no, I do know what's going on. She says, now look, not only did you get that F, but you're going to have to take it, and you're going to have to get it signed by your parents. Bring it back. Because she knew Johnny's dad. Johnny's dad was much like my dad. I remember, I remember this like it was yesterday. My dad looking at my fifth grade teacher in Germany, a German, and telling him this, if he needs a whooping, give it to him. And let me know I get another one when I get home. And I remember thinking, are you allowed to strike the rock twice? Are you? <laughs> now don't, hey, don't you think I said anything? I knew better not to say anything. <laughs> but I remember thinking, is that fair? You know, there's a Chinese proverb. You ever heard this? There's a Chinese proverb. It says, whoop your, child, whoop your son at least once a day. Don't worry if you don't know why. He does. <laughs> he does. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Amen. That's a, that'll preach right there. Amen. <clears throat> so Johnny, listen, he goes home. He gets disciplined. He comes back, and man, he's focused. And his grades start to get better. They start to excel. Listen, he gets better and things. And, hmm. But before you know it, look, he's looking out the window, and there goes an RS6 Performance Audi, 605 horsepower right out of the factory. He's looking at it. And listen, and he falls right back to where he was. Wouldn't it be great if we could all raise our hand and say, you know what, I, I'll tell you one thing, preacher. Every mistake and every sin I ever made, I only made it once. Wouldn't that be great? Man, that'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? But listen, you come down here maybe, you're at an altar or you're at home and there's hot tears rolling down your face and you're confessing your sin and you're getting it right. But watch, but the stinking, very stinking same sin six months ago, you're down on your face again. I, and I say, we, we. Because we slide back. We do. We forget. We get lackadaisical. We get tired. I remember there was a preacher in El Paso, Texas. He had gone on staff at the Hillcrest Baptist Church, and he was green. I mean, he was just right out of, you know, right out of school or whatever, and he didn't know anything, and normally they're in the office. There were like always three or four other preachers there, so he could always ask. But sure enough, a call came in from the hospital. <clears throat> a man in the church said, I need a preacher to come down. They're going to crack open my chest and perform heart surgery. And they have to do it right away. And he said, I need a pre preacher to come down and pray for me. 
And he's thinking, where are these guys? But nobody was there, and he had to go down. He did. Held the man's hand. Prayed with him. And he said, the man said this. He said, if the Lord gets me through this and spares my life, they didn't give him much of a chance, but they said, he said, if he does, every time the doors are open, I'll be there for the church doors. I'll never miss another service, he said. So this preacher goes back and, you know, the surgery goes fine and the man pulls through. He starts to get better and they know by now, yeah, he's, it, he'll be okay. And this preacher, this young preacher is thinking, man, when this man comes, he won't just be here, he'll actually be here. You ever been in church but not really there? Yeah. I mean, I, we'd go home and my mom would teach Sunday school. You know, my dad would preach and we'd be in the services, my sisters and I. And uh, my mom would ask us during lunch. She said, what did dad preach on today? I'd be like, well, you know, Jesus. <laughs> the Bible. What do you think he preached? I mean, and I let my sisters go first, you know. Hey, I've been, at, I've been numerous times at church, but I could have been 500 miles away. Yeah. So he's thinking, this guy's going to be here. Man, we're going to have a revival when he comes. He's going to be fired up. You know how many times that man came? Not one time. Not even one time. Big fat goose egg. Zero. Somebody says, how can that be? Was he not serious when he made that statement? When he prompt made that promise? Sure he was. The, the threat of dying was there. He was as serious as all get out. What happened? Well, he started to regain his strength. The danger dissipated. You know what I mean? He pulled through. And he started to slide back. You know, we used to, man, we used to make promises. Man, if we can have a dog, we'll take, we'll feed him, we'll bathe him, we'll take him out, we'll do all that stuff. That lasted about a week. And dad knew mom would do it if mom hadn't done it. But dad knew mom would do it. That's why he got a dog or he would have just shot the dog. You know, but dad knew mom would do it. But our, should our promises be like a promise to a dog or a promise lackadaisical, this, something like that? Because God doesn't forget when we promise, amen? And we better not to promise and, and not to keep our promise than to promise something and not keep it. Did I say that right? You know what I meant. But we slide back. Why is that? Let's say I stopped the service here and I said, you know what? We try, we get fired up. Man, maybe we're fired up now after this missions conference. Yeah, we're going to go out, we're going to soul in. But I tell you one thing, in about a month, if not two months, everybody here will be asleep again. Everybody here will be falling back. Many do. Many do. And I say, you know, we're just all losers. Nothing we can do. Let's just go home. How'd you feel? Somebody says, is there not a solution? There is. To recognize why this happens, watch. Listen, you know why we keep on sliding back after wake-up calls, after God jolting us, after God waking us up? Because you and I always think we'll have another chance to get it right. 
You see, the Bible answers the questions. Look with me again in Romans chapter 13 and verse 11. It says, in that, knowing the time, that it now is this high time to wake out of sleep. Watch. Here's the second part. First of all, wake up. And then the second part is this. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. When we got saved, that's not the finished work of our salvation. Would you agree with me? No, we're going to heaven. We'll be in the twinkling of an eye. We'll be transformed. And it's very simple to see that now we're closer than when we've ever been. And it keeps on getting closer and keeps on getting closer. Watch. But time is limited. And our opportunities are limited. And to think, if I can just, I just, I know I didn't get it right this time, but I can always get it right. Why do we think that way? Well, we haven't died yet. Let's just suppose. Watch. Put your mind in the gear. Let's suppose. I had the authority tonight. We're just supposing. I don't. But let's suppose I did. Have the authority to tell you tonight from the Lord next Sunday, last Sunday. That's it. No more Sundays. Next Sunday is the last Sunday you'll ever have. The last Lord's Day you'll have. The last time in a Sunday you'll come in here and you'll hear the Word of God preached. Let me ask you something. And everybody knew. All the ones that are here always and all the ones that are here every once in a while. and every, Everybody knew that was true. Let me ask you something. You think this place would be packed? Let me ask you something. Would you come in after being up till 3 or 4? Kind of rolling in. How do you think the singing would be? Just kind of. Or do you think there would be some fervency? Think there'd be some excitement. You think the preacher would just get out any old sermon or something? You know what I mean? I'm not saying he would or at all, but I'm just saying, would he not give it his absolute very best? Just like you would give your absolute very best to be hearers of the word, hang on to every word that was being said. You know, the simple truth is this the day is coming where you read your Bible. For the very last time. It's coming. There's a number maybe out there, but listen, it's not endless. You know, one day I'll get up for the very last time and I'll say, open the word of God. And I'll say, thus saith God, thus saith the Lord, here's the way, walk therein. And I'll challenge the people to love God, obey God, do what he says for the very last time. Now, I don't feel that way a lot of times, but it is true. One day I'll pray for the last time. One day I'll read my Bible for the last time. One day I'll tell my parents for the last time I love you. One day you'll tell your wife, your wives, you'll tell your husband, you'll tell your kids for the last time that you love them. Listen, our opportunities are not forever and endless. There's only so many. That's why the Bible says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. For unto the grave, whither thou goest, there's no more opportunities. That should keep us awake. 
do you realize, I'm not saying it is, but this could be, in the way things are looking, it would not surprise me if this were your last missions conference you ever had. Maybe not, but if not, there's probably not many before you. And I would challenge you, if this were, wouldn't we want to do everything to make it count? We ought to. I remember there was a man. He had been called to be a missionary. God had called him. He was a saved man. God had called him into the ministry. He had surrendered to that. He had talked to his wife about that. She, had, she was on board. She had surrendered to that. They were getting things ready. He, had, he owned two or three businesses. Actually, a preacher told me this story. He had gone, it was, it's a true story. He had gone to a preacher's meeting. The preacher, the pastor of the church, told them this story. And the man said, if they don't believe you, here's my number. Have them call me and they can talk to me. I'll tell them it's true. This man had two or three businesses. Had to get things wrapped up and everything. And it was taking time. And throughout the time of getting ready for the ministry and this and that, he started to slide back. The promise to be a missionary and to do what the Lord had told him to do, he started to fade away. Started to forget. They had a house out at the lake. They would go there and it had, the pastor said they got so backslidden that sometimes they wouldn't even come to church. Can you believe that? Wouldn't even come to church. Be out at the cabin, out the lake. They were out there one time and they were winterizing it. They were getting ready for the winter. I mean, I'm sure I'm talking to the crowd that knows best probably about those kind of things. They're getting it ready and shutting off the water. And he told his son, his five-year-old son, they had two, a two-year-old and a five-year-old son. He told the five-year-old, could you get down there in that crawl space? And it was hard to get down there. And he told him what to turn off. And his son got down there and he heard this blood-curdling scream. Now, you parents know there's screams and there's screams. But he knew when he heard that scream, he knew it was... It was real. He knew there was something vitally or definitely wrong. And he reached down as far as he could, grabbed him by the pant leg, jerked him out, and to his horror realized he'd been bitten by rattlesnakes numerous times. So he told his wife, he said, our son's dying. We must get to the hospital. She said, I can't find the two-year-old. He said, it doesn't matter. He said, listen. Get the neighbor. Tell him to find the two-year-old. Tell him to take care of the two-year-old. We have to leave now. So not having found the two-year-old, they pull out and they go over a bump. <laughs> Get out. Realize, realize it's a two-year-old under the car. Got out, gathered him up. Now they got two sons dying, rushing to the ER. One goes in one side. One goes in the other side. Two doctor teams working on both sons. The doctor, after I don't know how many minutes, comes out. And he says, I must sadly declare your son died. Just minutes. Not even, no, just seconds apart. The other doctor comes out and declares the other son died. Upon hearing the news of the second son, the wife collapses, goes into shock, and dies. 
herself. Probably not surprising, but think about it. Here's a man, listen, when he got up in the morning, the sun was shining, the birds were chirping, a Sunday morning like any Sunday morning. And at the end of the day, he lays his head down on the pillow, a widower and childless. Sam says, oh, you preachers always trying to tell us stories. Scare us into serving the Lord. Well, let me ask you this. Let me just ask you this. What would it take for you to wake up? Caused him to wake up. But let me ask you, must it be tragedy? Is that what you want? The Lord can do it. Must it be heartache and pain? Could it not be, wait a minute, my grandpa always said, if you're too dumb to learn any other way, experience is your teacher. But could it not be instruction? Can it not be a sermon? Can it not be a, a service like this where you wake up and you say, you know what, you're right, preacher, I only have so many opportunities. And I'm going to make my life count. Because the gift that God has given to us is called life. And it's to serve Him. That's why we're here. It's to do His will. It's to carry out His work that He started. Amen. That's our opportunity. You remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? And the hour is nigh. He'll be offered. Serious. And he charges. We could go to the portion, but I'll just tell you. He charges them to watch and pray. Remember that? And he goes off, he separates them, separates them, and he goes and prays. That this bitter cup be taken from him, but not his will, but the Father's will be done. And listen, was he was he awake? Was he fervent in his prayer? Like, hey, what? Great sweat, uh, drops of sweat, like blood. Flow down his face. But he comes back and he finds them what? Asleep. And he woke them and he said, Could you, can you not watch him pray with me? And he charges them again, the very same thing. He goes away, prays the, pretty much the very same thing, comes back and finds them again what? Asleep. And he kicks them. Is that what he does? What did he do the second time? He let them sleep, for their eyes were full of sleep. Let me just say this. The wake-up calls aren't guaranteed. God doesn't have to wake you up. He could come by and he said, this son of mine, this daughter of mine, I've gave them, given them opportunity. I've woken them up, but enough is enough. He doesn't guarantee the wake-up calls. He doesn't owe you any wake-up calls. You know what's sad? There's people, probably in this church, like many churches, that know and have said in their heart, you know, one day I will teach a Sunday school. One day I will start reading my Bible on, an, on, on just a, a daily basis. One day I will start going to that service I don't go to. One day I will start doing this. But you've been saying it for years and years and years. And you've never got around to doing it. Because you think, ah, I can do it next year. Well, this year's almost over. Let's, we'll start next year doing it. But you've been saying that for eight years. 
and we think you always have another opportunity. Sad, friend. A man named John Greenleaf Whittier said these words, or penned these words, of all sad words of tongue and pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. It could have been. And one day we'll look back at eternity and we'll see the opportunities we had to serve the Lord, to be at His beck and call, to do His will. First and foremost, to be, listen, fishers of men and bear fruit at our time like a tree that is planted by the waters. And you could have, but you thought you always had another opportunity. You just never, listen, woke up and you didn't stay awake because you thought you could do it some other time. Psalms 90 and verse 12, we'll end, just listen, we'll end with this. The Psalms writer writes this and he says, so teach us, hey, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. We're frail, we're weak, we only have so many days. But that we might apply our hearts, teach us, that we might apply it to wisdom, to take advantage of the opportunities we have and whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. Get with it. What a blessed day when a Christian gets up and says, enough is enough. And gets with it. You see, the sluggard isn't one that doesn't know what to do. He ought, but he fails to move from will to deed. That's the sluggard. Not that he doesn't know what to do. He knows. He just never gets up and starts plowing or put his, putting his hand to the plow. It's not that you don't know what to do. You do. You know to get rid of that evil. You know to get rid of that sin. And you know to serve the Lord. But you just haven't gotten up. And you're not performing. And the opportunities are running real short. But you know what you got? You got now. No, listen, you got right now. You're still alive. You're still here. You heard the sermon. Why don't tonight, listen, you promise to the Lord. You tell the Lord, you know what? Lord, I'm going to get up. And if nobody else does, I'm going to start. And I'm going to tell my neighbor. And I'm going to go to my relatives. And I'm going to tell them. And I'm going to do whatever this church needs done. And I'm going to serve you. For the opportunities I still have left. Lord, we come before you. We thank you for your word. So precious. I thank you for these people. Lord, I can't even see it, but you know the opportunity here, the potential here for people to bear fruit, the potential for this church, for men to be called. I, I believe you're calling, but the laborers are few because men aren't answering. And Lord, you're pleading. You're dealing with the heart. But many are in spiritual slumber. Must you wake them up by tragedy? Must it be sad? 
Speak to hearts, Lord. May we serve you for the rest of our days that are still ahead. Bearing fruit. Pleasing you. We pray this now in Christ's name. Amen.